0: I'm talking with mystic David Hoffmeister. Hello, David. Hi there, Michael. How are you today?
1: Oh, very good. Very good. So tell me, David, who are you and what do you do? I am really a, a pretty simple one, but I I was inspired about a quarter of a century ago, 25 years ago, to go and find healing, a, a, a kind of a permanent, lasting healing, not something that would come and go. And I think the reason I... I wanted to discover healing was I I think like most everyone I I wanted to be happy and peaceful and joyful and I sensed that that uh, there were some blocks that I had that needed to be removed so once I got into it and it started to become very consistently peaceful and happy and joyful then this uh, momentum inside of me just wanted to extend it to all my brothers and sisters all over the world. So, I started traveling around the world, and I think I've been in about forty-one countries, just uh, sharing this presence and and these beautiful teachings that the Spirit has has blessed me with in my life.
0: And what has been your own journey with a Course of Miracles, Davis?
1: I was out at a humanistic psychology conference in 1986 out in uh, Southern California, and I went to hear Carl Rogers and Virginia Satir, a lot of amazing speakers, and then I came across uh, A Course in Miracles, and uh, when I opened the book, I just felt like waves of love, like a tsunami of love kind of energetically like washing over me, and very curious feelings, like my whole life would never be the same, like. I had some kind of a calling or mission uh, and that uh, I would go off in a whole different tangent than whatever I was thinking my future would be. And so from that point on, I've gone through, you could say, many different stages uh, working with the Course and having uh, mystical experiences, revelatory experiences, and uh, raising the dead experiences, uh, healing experiences or symptom removal and all kinds of things that I would have never predicted and never anticipated. And so it's been quite a, a full journey of, uh, I'd say, yeah, about over 25 years of, of working with the Course and just having amazing experiences.
0: And I know you experience a spiritual
1: awakening as well, David. Can you tell me a little bit about this? There's just a sense of, of consistent peace and calmness that just came over me, like like a tranquil feeling in my mind, almost like uh, if you were watching a movie and you were one with the movie and feeling this enormous sense of of unity and unification of mind and of consciousness. And so uh, there were revelatory experiences and everything that preceded it, but but I think the the best quality of describing it is that it's very stable and very consistent and it's like uh it's it seems more surreal now. The whole world seems surreal. Whereas before I, I think I took it pretty seriously and I reacted <laughs> with a lot of fear and now I don't react that way anymore. You talk a lot about forgiveness, David. What does it mean to forgive? It's a shift in our perception of absolutely everyone and everything. So it's it's not like the traditional forgiveness that we were taught in our religions where, you know, somebody had wronged us or they, they, we'd wronged somebody or something had gone terribly wrong. There was like some sense of a victimization that had happened and, and then we had to try to bless uh, the victims and the victimizers. This uh, transformation I call forgiveness is really seeing... The whole world in a new way and seeing that nobody did anything to anybody else. It was just a mistaken perception, a very distorted perception of the world that that needed to be released. And I always think of Corinthians in the Bible where it says we, we see through a darkened glass. I would say when we clear the mirror of our mind and when we Really, release that darkened lens, and we have this clear lens uh, that's free of judgment. That's really what forgiveness really is.
0: And why do we find it so hard to forgive?
1: It's this ego investment. You know, we we made up this ego, and uh, in Christian terms, I know there in Ireland uh, with the Protestants and the Catholics, you know, we we call uh, it the devil. Or Satan, imagine making up such a crazy idea as the devil or Satan, and then putting your faith and belief in it, and then it seems to have had a hold and a grip on our mind where we don't want to give up this belief in being hurt and victimized and and tortured and uh so we've the mind has become quite addicted to uh, the ego. And uh, even though it's a puff of nothingness, uh, when you give a powerful mind like the Christ mind or uh, a mind that's created by God over to a puff of nothingness, then it can be quite addictive and, until you finally uh, see more value in feeling peaceful than feeling hurt.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about this addiction, David?
1: It's actually an addiction to linear time. Because, you know, there's a lot of great teachers, and I'm sure a lot of them have been on your, your program, uh, Marianne Williamson and many, many great teachers that kind of point to the power of the mind. And uh, linear time is this belief in past, present, and future. And you might say that the present moment is the gateway uh, to eternity, like, like Eckhart talks about in The Power of Now. And yet the addiction has to do with continuing to pull on the past to keep pulling the past and covering over the present and then to keep projecting a future a fearful future based on a fearful past so this linear time thing is really the addiction when we think about uh alcohol and drugs and sex addictions and or shopping addictions and so forth that's more of a surface thing on consciousness we're really uh, addicted to linear time, because the ego made up linear time to be a replacement for eternity. And that's why it's so, uh seems so difficult for a while to uh, completely let it go. Is it real, David? No, linear time really isn't real. The, I would say eternity, eternal love, infinite nature, infinite being, divine love and light, that's all real. And then the Course comes along and Jesus has a little introduction where he says uh, this Course can be summarized very simply as nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists. So basically what he's defining as unreal is whatever's temporary, whatever's ephemeral, whatever's passing, uh, that's the unreal. And whatever's eternal and everlasting and forever and always, then that's that's what's real, that's what's spirit. What's the purpose of forgiveness in spiritual awakening? Well, forgiveness, you might say, is the means, and then uh, pure abstract love and light, uh, just being one with God and being in pure divine union, uh, that's like the ultimate uh, of what waking up means. So, forgiveness is important because it's like the gateway, that there's many pathways to God, and A Course in Miracles is just one of the universal curriculum. but. It's a very important gateway because it works. It it actually shows us the false is false with the Holy Spirit's help, and then we actually are awakened into a divinity that has always been our true nature. So, to me, forgiveness is absolutely essential. It's the means, and then the end is, is pure recognition of God and love. What are your thoughts on guilt? Guilt is, is that emotion of the ego or the devil or Satan, and it's you know, the thing about guilt is when the mind falls asleep and forgets God and love, what happens is then it takes on this strange emotion called guilt, which God doesn't know about and God didn't create. But what happens is the mind then projects out a, a world of duality. So we have this strange thing called good guilt and bad guilt. And most of us have been raised with this, you know, like when when you say something that you did or whatever, and people go, hmm, that's pretty bad. You should feel guilty. Uh, and then there's there's bad guilt where it's like, you know, it's you should feel bad. Then there's good guilt where it's like, oh, no, it's a little white lie, a little wee little lie there, you know, no problem at all. Um, you know, it's, uh, you're human. And, you know, it's, and uh, besides it, it, it t- makes you behave, uh, so it's good to feel guilty, so the ego would tell us. So we don't start to realize that guilt is always totally insane. Guilt is never valuable, and there is no, no such thing as good guilt. And that that's why we really have to see the nature of of this ontological guilt, that we don't want any of it. We want to be purely innocent. And we can't be innocent and and guilty at the same time. It's either one or the other. And Jesus is saying, you know, you're innocent and that's the fact of it.
0: Because so I heard recently that guilt is a useless emotion. Would you think this is
1: true? Yeah, it, it's useless because it's it's useless to the Spirit and anything that is used by the Spirit in a helpful way I would call useful. Even the images of time and space and the words can all be used by the Spirit. But that emotion of guilt, it's dark, it's heavy, it's shameful, and it doesn't feel good. And so uh, I would say guilt is a useless emotion, and I would say that this whole journey into linear time is the is the last useless journey uh, where we don't have to, to take these uh, crazy journeys in time and space anymore. We can just abide with God in heaven. Do you think one of the reasons
0: we're here on earth, David, is to overcome this guilt and fear?
1: Yeah, that is the the primary reason. I, I went through a lot of dark experiences, like I think everyone has, and then I just thought there has to be a better way. There has to be a a, a purpose to live here and to experience joy and love and happiness. And uh, then that would mean that 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 to undo the guilt, to release the guilt. So I I join with everybody I meet in in releasing guilt, and I find that that. Brings a lot of inspiration to all of us.
0: The reality is at times a person can experience guilt over something in their lives and judge as being unforgivable, David.
1: Why is this? The ego made up the whole time space cosmos and all of linear time to make these things that seem to be unforgivable. And, you know, we even have words out of the Bible that says that's blasphemy against God. You know, like you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, a lot of us were raised with that one but but the lord is is so loving and so high that the Lord uh doesn't even uh have a name ultimately it's just pure i amness and beingness and presence and we the ego has fooled the mind into thinking that there's certain things that that our behaviors, like murder for example, or mass murder, or like gas chambers with Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany, and the ego just says that's absolutely unforgivable. But we forget that the ego made all of that up to keep us from looking inside and, and that simple awakening of be still and know that I'm God. We The ego made the whole thing up and all these so-called sins and unforgivable sins just so that we would never experience our divine innocence, so that's why it's so important to go all the way with this uh, Course in Miracles and go all the way back to the Atonement. I
0: heard there, I think it was about a couple of years ago, There was and the definition of the ego was edging God out.
1: Yes, I love that. EGO, I love that acronym. <laughs> I love that when I heard it. You mentioned about the Atonement. What's the Atonement? Well, David? Atonement uh, really means correction, so you might say that a lot of us were raised with this belief that that uh, Adam and Eve you know, had sinned against God and they were thrown out of the Garden of Eden. Uh, but I would say sin is really an error to be corrected and atonement is the correction. So atonement is not like a typical uh, just definition from the Bible and a lot of Christianity where you're like paying for your sins, like you have to pay the ransom, pay the price for original sin no actually atonement is the correction for the error and does that feel a lot lighter than paying for sins just accepting the correction for the error just like jesus did you know he he is a, a way-shower that way because he's showing us that uh, that we're innocent and we can accept the correction
0: oftentimes we find it hard to forgive about something say we regret in the
1: past why is that it's this memory thing again like um in heaven, in perfect oneness, there is no such thing as memory. That's another uh, thing that the ego invented. It invented consciousness, and it uh, it invented memory. And so it's something that the ego made up, but the ego uses memory to reinforce guilt. It's like trying to hold this darkness in mind and keep remembering the hurt, the pain, the suffering. Whereas the Holy Spirit says it's actually possible to remember the present moment and it's actually possible to remember God. And isn't that a better use of memory than trying to keep calling the past into the present and covering up our beautiful present moment where we have a gateway back to God with this old memories and old stories of wrongdoing. So uh, that's that's why it's so important to release the past.
0: And why do you think we find it so hard to be in the present moment? It's
1: fear. It's like... uh, the fall from grace, the seeming fall from grace, was the first um, fearful moment. And then uh, the reality of heaven and love and light was completely pushed out of awareness. And then all this guilt seemed to come in and fear. And then the reason it's so difficult is now every time we open our hearts up, like even in a love relationship, you, know, you start to open your heart up, you feel closer and closer, and then, then you feel a fear that comes up. There's a fear of intimacy, there's a fear of connection and and ultimately there's a fear of love and power, and that's our biggest block is we still think that the, that somehow God is going to make us pay a price or that God is going to punish us and and with that kind of a false God, this punishing god then we're we're afraid to open our hearts back up to the love is there a way that we can change this dynamic well yeah, that's uh, when jesus co- named the book A Course in Miracles, he's basically saying that we need to practice miracles, that we need to open up to becoming miracle workers, which is something I didn't ever think about when I was being raised in Christianity. I never thought of myself as a miracle worker. And then as we practice being used by the Holy Spirit and extending all this love and light, and having these shifts of perception you know, to alignment with God, it just opens us up, and it slowly washes away the fear. And so, I would say miracle working is very practical. I've been training as a miracle worker for over 25 years, and it's probably going on about 29 years now. And and then also, as I become really proficient at my miracle working, then I seem to have others that come along and are interested. And so. We've got a whole bunch of miracle workers being trained, and and these miracles are very practical because they do open us up, and we can transcend the fear through the miracles.
0: Is the Course of Miracles for everybody, or is it do you have to be a certain way of thinking?
1: Well, I would say there's so many p- beautiful pathways to God that the Course is just one version of this universal curriculum, and and you know it's it's not for everyone. I know the Course is translated now into. Uh, I think maybe 17 or more uh, different languages, so it is spreading around the world. But it's using concepts uh, and ideas like like the Trinity and and God the Father and Holy Spirit and forgiveness and atonement and so forth. And uh, For some people, there's other words that resonate more, and I think that's beautiful. They should follow what resonates in their heart. And then I would say uh, Helen Schuckman, who was the scribe of the Course, one time was quoted as saying, Ah, at last we have a pathway to God for intellectuals. So that's kind of a telling uh, statement because it's 31 chapters, 365 lessons, and a manual for teachers. And I would say that it's it's designed more for those that have quite complex intellectual structures and actually need to come into a way of simplifying their mind and purifying their heart. And so I would say definitely the Course is not for everybody, It's but forgiveness is for everyone, quantum forgiveness. But it comes in many different forms, and, and we're not to be the judge of that. Do you think we're responsible
0: for the life we're living, or do you think there is actually like something else guiding that?
1: Well, I would say we are responsible for our state of mind, but in terms of the, our life in the world, which seems to be human beings and actions and doing all these things, Uh, that's the biggest problem, is that when we think we have our own individual little choice and will, and we can stand up and live our life from birth to death, and we have a currency called time, that we can spend our time, you know, every minute and second and hour, month, year, we can spend it on anything we want to do in this world. That's really a distortion of free will, because we have free will in heaven. But I would say, ultimately, when we start to take responsibility for our behaviors, actions, and for controlling the world and the environment around us, we've slipped off into guilt. And when we start saying, oh, maybe it's simpler, maybe I'm just responsible for my state of mind, and I need to think with the Holy Spirit, correct my perception, and then... I can let go of trying to be responsible for people, places, things, work, all those things. Then I can feel this true peace, because I take true responsibility of just accepting the atonement and, and having a beautiful uh, state of mind.
0: Could you give me an example of how that could work, Davis?
1: For example, with occupations, you know, most people have some kind of uh, job requirements, and they they're responsible for. Quotas, or sales, or managing people, controlling outcomes, and so forth, and it gets very frustrating. I think everybody who's worked a job or a career where you have to manage outcomes and people, when when they don't do the right things, or the uh, the outcome and the sales are low, then you take a lot of uh, negative feedback. And it's the same with relationships with our parent-child relationships. Parents are overly responsible for their children. Uh, and they feel guilty that they haven't done it right. And children feel guilty that they haven't been a good enough child for their parent. Lovers, partners feel guilty that they're not a good enough partner. So what what I'm saying is when we start to orient everything back to our change of mind and to our alignment with God, then that's what simplifies things. And uh, like I one time met uh, a a woman who was saying she felt so guilty about her son and that she hadn't loved him and done enough for her son. And, and uh, uh, finally, uh, I was, the woman I was talking to was 90-some 90, 90 years old and her son was 75. <laughs> she was taking all this responsibility for his life and he's 75 years old. So that's, a, that's an extreme example. <laughs> is it like a letting go, David, is it or...? A- yeah, it is a letting go because you know the ego made up a world of linear time with all these false responsibilities and and we're taught that the, our value comes from these worldly responsibilities, you know, and we're not taught that our our happiness is going to come from taking full responsibility for our state of mind. We're taught that there's all these external things that will make us happy and all these external things that can make us grieve and, and make us hurt and sad. So it's a huge letting go. It's almost like a thought reversal, like we've got to let go of like 99.99999 or more percent of all the thoughts in our consciousness in order to to feel this uh, peace. So it's a huge letting go. Is it the ego that's stopping us from doing this or is it something else? It's the trick of thinking the ego gives us something we want. and And so... If the ego was just like a purely dark all the time, um, it wouldn't be so hard to let the ego go. But the ego is clever, and it's ingenious. And so what it does is it, it makes up a world of duality where there's pleasure and pain. There's seemingly good things and bad things, and when we talk about opening to God, many people think, if I could just eliminate all the negativity, and and let all the negative things in the world go, all the pain and suffering and negative things, and I would be happy. But the ego is so tricky that it had, it invented negative things and positive things that would would trick us. So that's what Jesus calls the attraction to guilt, like the things in this world that we think are good and valuable are part of a very devious trick to keep our minds stuck in duality and stuck in linear time. And for most people, you know, they want to accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative, and they don't really see yet that the ego has set up this whole system so that we would still be attracted to the positive and therefore still feel guilty. And then we would wonder, why isn't it working? I'm, I'm forgiving all the negative, and why do I still feel bad it's part of a very deep trick
0: and when you speak about the duality is that the comparison mind david
1: yeah yeah the ego you might say that the way it works is when the mind seemed to fall asleep it used to just know total oneness and love and peace and joy and bliss when it falls asleep with the ego then there's a split mind there's a schizophrenia going on where there's two voices now there's There's the voice of the Holy Spirit and love, and then there's the voice for fear, the ego. So the mind is split, but it's not used to being split. So it has this enormous tension, so it just projects out the tension onto the world. So it stabilizes seemingly, not really, but by seeing opposites and then getting caught up in comparing and contrasting Everything. This is good, this is bad, this is better, this is worse. And it doesn't realize that it's it's an addiction of trying to project the split of the mind out into the world and then try to solve the problem through the world. Do you think this is what stops us from experiencing love in our lives? Yeah, that's it. It's it's like a big trick. I mean, I think back to the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave, and if you really had to summarize the Sermon on the Mount, it was judge not. You could boil down the whole sermon to two words. And and this dualistic judgment is what blocks us from knowing our own divinity and our own peace of mind.
0: If we do have this judgmental mind in, in our lives, is there a way to reduce it or eliminate it?
1: Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows that we're in a judgmental bind, that our mind is caught in a very unnatural loop of judgment. So the way that we get out of it is we we offer the judgments to the Holy Spirit. We say, listen, I'm going to give you the whole kit and caboodle. I'm giving the whole, my whole deceived, messed-up mind, and I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to say, now you start judging for me. You tell me where to go. You tell me what to do. If I'm supposed to be married or single, you tell me. If I'm supposed to go here or there, you tell me. So to me, that's the most practical thing about the Course is... Uh, I I read the book for like eight hours a day for the first two or two and a half years and then to my happy surprise and astonishment I could hear this train of thought in my mind that it was Jesus and it wasn't just I love you till the end of time and you're innocent and that kind of stuff, it was call so and so, turn left go here, go there, and and he was speaking to me and giving me all these instructions. When I'm listening to the wonderful course teachers like uh, Ken Wapnick and so forth, Jesus is giving me instructions, commentary on Ken's teachings, or Tara Singh and so forth. I was getting commentary from Jesus, and then at some point, the Spirit, Jesus was saying, now I want to speak through you, instead of just to you as a human being, I want to speak through through you so you can unlearn the construct of david and come back into pure i-amness so it's i would say there is a way and it's really tuning into our intuition or where the holy spirit higher self that's what does it
0: you must have been very receptive to all of this happening at the time david
1: i was actually very shy through through childhood and and all the way through high school and grade school and then all the way even through college i was shy And so I would say it was a bit startling and shocking at first because um, my heart would open up so fast when I started to tune into this, and then I would contract because I would be like, What's that? Oh, my God. Uh, Am I going to have to talk to people and open up to people? So I was receptive, I think, but then the more the miracles started to come in, the more receptive I said. This is scary, but I'm going to go for it because... I want to have a happy life, I don't want to uh, live in misery and fear and and trepidation my whole life.
0: What were your parents and your friends' response to this change in you?
1: I think everybody was a little surprised, I mean, you know, your parents, my parents saw me and and they knew me in a certain way and then I started to shift so rapidly that my whole personality mask started to, to shift and so friends and Uh, family members, uh, and my parents, you know, they were a bit startled, I think. Uh, One woman, it was a friend of mine, didn't see me for 10 years, and then when she saw me after this transformation, she said, my God, what happened to you? You're not even the same person. Uh, She just couldn't hardly believe it. And my biological father, you know, uh, he was like, he just knew me uh, as he'd known me for years. So it, it was a big shift for him and, and he finally did uh come around in my perception he totally flipped around too and and was very accepting of uh, my happiness but he couldn't really understand i don't think the the metaphysics or any of those things but i think every parent just wants to see a happy child so they definitely got to see a happy child you spoke about
0: miracles that happened in your own life david can you tell me maybe one or two of those
1: major kind of miracles that really they're all Helpful, but um, I started having some uh, mystical experiences when I was in my thirties, where I was just meditating, and I had a friend of mine I would meditate with, and we would kind of open our eyes and just kind of sit across from each other and gaze, and then the the figure ground, the the perceptual three dimensional world started to collapse almost down to like two dimensionals, like a painting. And then this blazing light just started streaming in through the the seeming borders and boundaries, and then the whole world just disappeared, so that happened to me three different times where the whole world i just you know people talk about near death experiences I call them near life experiences i got I kind of got blasted with eternal life three times and and aside from those which are kind of rare, I'd say those are really rare revelatory experiences. I had so many synchronicities, I started to have like synchronicities happening around me all the time, like five, ten, fifteen synchronicities that I would notice every day and I would say oh, that's that's really amazing and uh, it would be like having things show up like Jesus was guiding me more to just trust inner guidance and to Eventually, I let go of working a job in the world, and I let go of uh, all kinds of uh, trying to meet the world in the reciprocal ways, and then things would show up. Things were offered to me, things were given to me, and those were all miracles because they were convincing me that I would be provided for while I was following Jesus. And I was pretty resistant even at the beginning. I, I would refuse a lot of things that were offered freely to me. I said, oh, no, no, I can't accept that. No, please, please. No, no, thank you. No, please. And then finally uh, Jesus spoke to me and he said, would you stop that? That's me helping you. <laughs> I'm giving you a place to stay. I'm giving you food. I'm bringing you know, things to you that will help you in your miracle working functions. And you're just pushing everything away. So... It was the Protestant work ethic, you know, you don't just accept handouts, is the way I thought of it. And Jesus said, well, actually, those are my handouts, so you need to accept them. So that's a good example of uh, of some of the miracles. You mentioned about intuition. What
0: exactly is intuition, David?
1: Well, that's just a word, I think, that for people that are not so much into uh, religious or spiritual terms. That intuition, it's kind of like you get these inner feelings that are are very strong and and they aren't analytical, and there's not a comparison and judgment with them. They just have these strong feelings, like a knowingness. And I know there's a lot of people that I've met and a lot of women that are very, very intuitive, and they they may call it like a sixth sense or whatever, but I would just say they're just receiving some very good spiritual guidance, uh, which sometimes in a feeling way, and sometimes there may be some words that go with it, and and that's just a, a pathway to God. So I would say the intuition is it's different than this um, kind of right brain left brain kind of thinking. Even, although it would be, probably be more associated with right brain in the sense that it's it's not so intellectual and it's not doesn't it's not doesn't involve a lot of analysis and and comparison.
0: And would you say the less of the ego that we have, the more we can tune into that side of things?
1: Yes. The, that's exactly it. The more we release those blocks and, and the attachment and the attraction to the ego, the more we're just drawn very naturally into that still small, intuitive voice that it doesn't speak first. The ego always speaks first. But when we pause and we just calm down and we pray and reflect, this beautiful, intuitive voice is there. It's very, very calming and very, very helpful. Do you
0: think it's possible to live a life without the ego?
1: Yeah, in in fact, I would say that that is the definition of life. Uh, when we are trying to compromise and and we stay stuck in past and future thinking, then we really don't know what life is. Because really, life is eternal life. Life was given to us by our Creator, and we this thing called earth life is just a it's just a, a a covering over of that beautiful eternal divinity. So I would say, not only is it possible to live a life free from the ego, it's absolutely inevitable that everyone, sooner or later, will come to live a life free of the ego because God didn't make the ego. The ego is the denial of God and, and everybody's will is to know the Creator. So it's absolutely inevitable to, to live free of the ego.
0: What are your thoughts, say, on sickness and health then, Dave? Do you think we choose to be sick, or
1: is it something else? Well, I would say that sickness is a wrong-minded decision. So I have talked a lot about sickness and health over these last 25 years, and I would say that I'll have some people say, well, wait a minute, now, if sickness is a choice, that's a little bit scary. And I'll say, well, what do you mean? And they'll say, well, you know, actually... Actually, David, who in their right mind would would choose to be sick? That seems ridiculous. And I say, you've got it. You hit it right on the head on first try. Who in their right mind would choose to be sick? No one who's in their right mind, no one who's in a a sane state of mind, a clear sane state of mind would choose to be sick. It's always a wrong-minded or a distortion that somehow is tricking and fooling the mind. So, when people say, well, I feel kind of guilty if I think that I'm responsible for sickness or I'm responsible for uh, heart attacks or cancer or whatever, and I say, well, the reason that you feel guilt is because you're taking that responsibility word again, and you're putting it out onto the form, onto the heart attack, the body, the the cancer, or whatever, and that's, again, level confusion. You, You forgot that you're here to to accept the correction. You're not here to choose sickness. That's, the ego would have you feel guilty, feel weak and frail and sick. The ego would have you die. And God would have you live and live in happiness and joy and peace. So there's a beautiful line from the Course that really helps with this thing. Because it's a very deep confusion with Course in Miracles students. But there's one point early on in the text where Jesus says, you are not responsible for the problem, but you are responsible for accepting the correction to the problem. So that really makes it clear that we need to be really well trained by Jesus and the Holy Spirit to accept that atonement, correction, and not be riveted on the form of things, because that's distracting us from the stillness in our mind.
0: So it's very much happening at an unconscious level, David, is it?
1: It is. And that's why I would say the whole course is about raising the unconscious, the, the shadow that Jung talked about, the the darkness of the unconscious mind, bringing it up into awareness. Because who in their right mind would choose to be sick? Who in their conscious mind would choose to be sick or want to be sick? That doesn't make any sense. But you're right, it's an unconscious Almost like to use a computer analogy, there's something going on down there in the hard drive. There's programs running that we aren't aware of. It. There's a virus that's running down in the unconscious mind. And we need to have that raised up before we can let it go. So that's what most of my work is about, is, is raising the darkness to the light and helping people do that.
0: If a person's friend or family member was diagnosed with a terminal illness, David, what would you say to them as a way to support them in that?
1: I would say that to watch your thoughts very carefully, because what you want to do is you want to see the truth in them. You want to see the love in them, the light in them. You want to be an inspiration to them and to yourself. So um I would say that that it seems radical, but... I was given opportunities when my my grandfather, who I dearly love, was diagnosed with cancer. He lost all this weight he was went down to be like a almost the size of a walking skeleton with a little flesh on his bones, and I had to face all the thoughts in my mind, all these intense emotions within myself and the same thing happened when I was invited to volunteer and train to be a hospice volunteer to be on a ward where everyone in the ward was was going through the dying process, seemingly in form. And I had to let the Spirit come through me with inspiration and joy. And I met these hospice patients with such love and joy um, that they would call me into their room and they would say, psst, psst, come in here. And I'd go in and I would tell them how loved they were, how innocent they were, how beautiful they were how they didn't do anything wrong i would just reach the christ in them and oftentimes the next day i would go in they'd let go of the body they'd just you know they were in there to die and they they released the body the ones that were feeling guilty were hanging on to the body because they felt like they were going to let down their loved ones and relatives and even that i was able to help them release that because the body's just a, a Device that the the Holy Spirit uses. It's not our home. Our home is in heaven.
0: Who are your thoughts on
1: death? I would say most everyone I know, me included, as I came to this world, believes in death of the body. What Jesus showed me was, he said, no. It's actually it's a state of mind. So, anytime you're you're sad, you're angry, you're guilty, you're hurting in any way, that's the result of a death wish in the mind. And some of us know that Freud actually came up with a name called Thanatos uh, for the death wish. But Jesus actually goes into much more detail about how when we have a wish to be separate from our brothers and sisters and from God, that's like our death wish. And it's not so much a biological event where the brain waves stop and the body ceases to be animated. That's, That's what the ego did. It even made up its own definition of death called the death of the body, and this thing called birth. And that's all part of this dualistic distraction to keep us from forgiving the death wish and healing what's inside of us. And I remember Gandhi's quite famous, uh, they asked Mahatma Gandhi one time, they said, do you believe in the devil? Do you really think there is a devil? And Gandhi replied, well, if there is a devil, I think he's running around in our own hearts. And I thought, wow, that is really getting to the heart of the matter, that we have to forgive the mistake, the error in our own hearts, instead of looking out and seeing the birth and the death and all the distractions of the world.
0: Many people can distract themselves from feeling you know, the painful emotions, such as, say, sadness and guilt, and they can kind of get caught up with the business of life. Why do you think that happens?
1: It's quite a mesmerizing trick by the ego that um, the, its whole purpose is to have the mind stay so caught up in the guilt that it will never have a hope of escape. And so, uh, there's just been so many examples of what was, say, a very dark world and dark images where people feel very sad, grieving, and depressed for their entire lifetime, not even knowing that there's another alternative, not another choice, so the ego you might say that uh, like in sports analogy, like I know you've got uh, sports and f- soccer football over there in europe it's very popular well it's almost like you have home games and you have road games you know when you're on the road, you go to the opposing uh, team's uh, stadium, but coming to this world is like going on a, a a whole lifetime or lifetimes of road games this is the ego's world this world of time and space was made out of hatred and so when you come here it's like you're you're on the ego's playing field the ego's stage and that's why it takes so many miracles to fire off all your rockets and escape the gravity of of this world because it's it's quite an ingenious uh, deception until we finally free ourselves of it, and we, we realize that it was nothing at all. But when it, we believed in it, it seemed to be quite the something.
0: Oh, what are your thoughts, say, on the corruptions with money, say, even the government and and people in the world?
1: The ego itself is self-deception, so it projects out a world of, of uh, corruption. So it seems like the corruption's outside of us, only to make us feel more like a victim, like feeling a victim of corrupt governments corrupt militaries, corrupt countries, and even uh, sometimes where we have friendships where they seem to go go foul and, and suddenly we feel betrayed or we feel rejected or we feel manipulated or taken advantage of. It's all the ego projecting this guilt and unworthiness out on all these characters to try to fool us and to believe that we are powerless, when in fact, our mind is so powerful that it, it made up this whole thing. You know, when we gave our powerful mind over to the ego, it made up a fantasy world of corruption. And I found that as I follow the Holy Spirit and Jesus, I live a life of integrity. So I say what I mean, I mean what I say. If I say I'm going to do something, I do it. If I say I'm going to be there at a certain time, I show up. Uh, if I make a promise, I keep it. And That's what we call integrity, and that is the opposite of corruption, is living honesty, trust, integrity. And I find for myself and for the communities that I work with and everything, we value that integrity and honesty so much that when there's just a little sliver of deception or corruption, we'll talk about it. We'll say, hmm. How did that happen, or what were you feeling, or did you feel guilty, and then we joined together in the in the healing
0: you think in order for these things to change at a world level, you think the consciousness of the leaders needs to change
1: more like the consciousness of the perceiver has to change, so for example, if everything that we perceive comes from a belief system, that means if we follow the spirit and change our egoic belief system for the holy spirit's this system of love. Then, the whole perception changes, so it's there's really not a political solution. I would say if we 're inspired by certain leaders it's because we find that inspiration in us, and we see it acted out in them but um in the world it's like it seems like in, if you have good leaders, then you have more uh sane and more loving countries but actually the countries and the leaders are all part of the projection, too. So in the end, um, I feel like we have to make that inner change, and that's where quantum physics comes in. Uh, I I just wrote a book called Quantum Forgiveness, Physics Meet Jesus, and it's available now, I think, all over the world, even over there in Ireland. And what it is, it's using modern-day parables of movies to show that quantum physics teaches us that there's no external world to our mind, that the world is simply a reflection of our mind. When this was discovered about seven decades ago by the same people that split the atom, they were so shocked about their discovery and that they hid their findings from the scientific community. <laughs> because the scientific community was mostly Newtonian physics, you know, that. Isaac Newton, the world's outside of us, and we can measure it and experiment on it, and we can find out about the world by running all these experiments. Quantum physics basically found, discovered that the world is not apart from our consciousness, and so if we see a corrupt world, we have a corrupt consciousness. If we see a world of war and terrorism, we still have a war and a terrorism of the ego going on in our mind. So it's very encouraging and very empowering to start to see that we can make that change within our consciousness and then the whole world we seem to see will will reflect that shift.
0: What are your thoughts on the recent attacks in Paris, David?
1: What's interesting, I just was part of a little video that came out um, prior to those attacks which was basically talking about how we're so afraid of love and we still have these violent thoughts in consciousness when the mind is asleep that we react very sharply to uh, attacks in the world and so for myself i could just see there's a huge call for love that that in terms of the world even the ones claiming responsibility for it uh, of isis basically we see that the villains throughout all the ages all the way from Genghis Khan to Stalin and Hitler and Osama bin Laden and uh, on and on—all of these characters that seem to be these villains. Now it's ISIS, is the latest characters group, are all part of this projection of trying to to see the terror as outside of us, and and then to guard ourselves through weapons and security and so on and so forth. Where basically Jesus taught us 2,000 years ago, if someone smite you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. And he taught us to be meek and defenseless because he was teaching us that if we purify our hearts and we release these violent attack thoughts in our mind, then we'll see a whole different world and then we'll wake up to the kingdom of heaven. So my my thoughts, I had no reactions to any of it except I could feel this huge call for love and I, I did have comments and extended love to everything and everyone that I felt uh, would feel blessed by the love. And I think that's really the the answer to all of our problems, is we have to really see the call for love and extend love where there's a call for it.
0: Do you think people could come to a place of forgiveness about what has happened there in Paris?
1: I think so. I mean, you know, it's it's really shifting the perception because Paris... Uh, the Paris attacks, they received a lot of media attention and there's a lot of world re- leaders meeting at the G20, uh, that meeting there in in Turkey, and it was a huge amount of focus on on Paris. But if you go back weeks before that and you see a huge explosion in Beirut, or you go back a little ways in time to hundreds of people being massacred in Kenya, that ISIS was, was uh, calling, claiming responsibility for. We can look back in time. We can see there's been a series of, of like devastating kind of things. We could talk about 9/11 with the twin towers, and even if you picked, you know, the last 10 or 15 years, you would see there's been a lot of these kind of massacre events, and some of them draw a lot of media attention, and some of them aren't even mentioned in the media like what happened with Kenya or the Beirut explosion that happened just before Paris, which involved a lot of people being killed in in bombs. And so what you start to see is it's selective perception, that the only way we can really go for a deep healing is to start to say, wow, what is it in my consciousness that is still getting acted out, that's drawing my attention, and drawing the attention of the media, if we can bring it inside and and expose and release these ego attack thoughts and accept the blessings of these real thoughts from the Holy Spirit, then then you f- have an everlasting solution, not something that just is here and gone, but it's it's going to last because of that. Sounds that
0: we need to change at a very much a collective level to have impact.
1: Yes, exactly. That that this whole collective mind is really a reflection of uh, of our beliefs. And so there was a Star Trek uh, enemy called the Borg. I don't know if you've ever watched Star Trek, but uh, they would assimilate people into their collective. And I would say the Borg represents the collective unconscious, which is what our collective world is about. And then we actually have a, a collective... Uh, spirit consciousness, which is so peaceful and loving. And that's the choice we have to make for that collective spirit forgiveness consciousness.
0: If any of our listeners are finding, say, something particularly challenging in their lives right now and looking to forgive themselves over it, would you have any practical guidance for them that they could use?
1: For me, The Course in Miracles, I I kept pouring myself into it. It was so practical with its text and its workbook lesson of the day and its manual for teachers but for some they have a resistance to the course or to the language so i feel like i am very available i love to travel i love to meet people i love to go into people's homes i love it when they write to me i've answered hundreds and hundreds and thousands of of emails and i've also been developing tools like movie watcher's guide to enlightenment for people who want to enjoy some movies and do their forgiveness work at the same time or instruments for peace or uh various kind of devices even spiritual communities where there's a nurturing and support for this so i would say the good news is that there's lots of symbols that the holy spirit can use and there's lots of options available for those people that are really wanting to wake up and to go through this forgiveness and just uh you could just google it just start typing some words into google and i think you'll find the some very helpful uh, stepping stones and solutions showing up. That's the most practical thing.
0: Tell me a little bit about your new book, Quantum Forgiveness, Physics
1: Meets Jesus. I wanted to have a practical tool, not so much just an intellectual theology. So I put together a book that, that uses seven what I call quantum movies that are amazing movies that are coming out now, like X-Men, Days of Future Past, and Solaris, and so forth. And so I kind of guide the reader through this deep healing experience with this book. And then actually, if they want to even get it even deeper, then I suggest that they kind of read the chapter on the movie and then and watch the movie itself. And I've had people witnessing and telling me that they're having huge healings from this uh, little quantum forgiveness book. So I'm, I'm very grateful that it's getting used.
0: And if anyone wants to find out more about your work or even buy the book, how could they do it? Well,
1: they could go to davidhoffmeister.com. And that's – most people know how to spell David, but Hoffmeister is H-O-F-F-M-E-I-S-T-E-R.com. And then there's a little link there to go to the store. And actually, if people are curious about quantum forgiveness, then they could actually – Go to that website, and there's a free gift for all your listeners uh, if they want to tune in. Where they just go to that, and then they just uh, type in davidhoffmeister.com forward slash QF gift for Quantum Forgiveness gift. It's called QF gift after the forward slash, and then they can get the first two chapters and read it and uh, see if it it calls to them.
0: Thanks so much. I really enjoyed chatting with you. It was a pleasure.
1: Oh, it's wonderful. Thank you yeah. so so much, Michal, and it's just it's been a blessing talking to you.
0: Do you ever come to Ireland, or
1: I do? I've been to to Galway and Wexford and Dublin and Northern Ireland and and uh, uh, even to the the middle of I- Ireland. So I I do enjoy coming. So I hope to come there again.
0: We'll have to come to Carter next time. Okay,
1: all right. I'll keep that <laughs> <Yeah>. in mind.
0: <laughs>